A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette Castor and today I'm talking to Aji Lewis. She's the mother of Shaney Lewis, who died aged 23 after being restrained by 11 police officers at Bethlehem Royal Hospital. We're going to be talking about her son and Shaney's law, also known as the Mental Health Unit's Use of Force Bill. Six police officers were cleared of any wrongdoing at a Metropolitan Police disciplinary hearing following the death of Shaney Lewis in 2010. So thanks very much for joining us on Mentally Yours. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Could you please start off by telling us a bit about Shaney? Um, what was he like and what did he study? Yes, um, Shaney was, you know, um, grew up, you know, as a normal sort of little boy, loved football and basketball, boxing, all the all the things, you know, that sort of I suppose boys like. Um he, you know, was quite health conscious. He um you know, he was a um, sort of a normal boy, I would say. Um had lots of friends, you know, had um was very popular at school. He sort of liked the pretty face and, you know, the girls liked him. So he was um yeah, quite popular. Um he, you know, it's a Cheney was a, an adventurer, you know, for instance, um, when we were in Florida and they wanted somebody to come and hold the alligator, you know, Cheney put up mm. his hand and went down, you know, um, he, you know, the snake was around his neck, you know, he sort of learned to um, jet ski and went way out on the shore, way out. And, you know, we'd asked him not to, but he went and then um, he looked as if he was in trouble. And of course, um, he uh, I think the jet ski had overturned. Anyway, my younger daughter went out to help him see what had happened. And um, they both came back. And then, you know, he said to me, uh, Mom, how far is Cuba? I said, Cuba, this is in Florida, okay? Mm. 
But then the map, it Cuba looks not quite near, doesn't it? And he said, um, yes. I said, look, Shaney, people are trying to get out of Cuba, not get into Cuba. You know, <laughs> you want to get to Cuba. No. <laughs> he was this sort of a, a character. He, he was a, a character. He hated bullies. Um, he always stood up for the marginalized in school. You know, I, I know one time the headmaster called me and said there'd been an incident. I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, he said, no, no, no. You know, I have to ask Shaney to come and work in my office because he raised a bat uh, to the school bully. Uh, one of the older boys wouldn't let the younger boys have their football back and back. And Shaney picked up a cricket bat and, and held it. And the boy gave him their ball back. And, you know, the headmaster was said, you know, I, I couldn't let that happen, you know, because he should have told one of the teachers or the staff. But, you know, he said, I want you to know that as we were going up the stairs to my office, everybody was shaking his hand and saying, well done, Shaney, well done, Shaney. <laughs> and he said, I, I had a little smile on my face, but he said I had to be, you know, strict and punish, punish him. You know, it was that sort of thing. He was, yeah, it was a good sport, really. Um, really stuck up for the marginalized and you know if you you know if you saw anybody sort of um you know homeless or oh, go on and on about it you know what did he study was it it is that right after school yes yes he studied he was he'd done his uh, master's and wanted to go and do his phd when you know just before he he died yes he did it at kingston um university and and, and his master's there and was thinking to go of going to America, yeah, to do his to do his PhD. But he was interested in, in lots of things, you know, how young boys, music, everything, yeah, sport. So moving on to really why we're sort of having this chat. Why did he need medical help on the August bank holiday weekend in twenty ten, in the weekend of his death? Yeah. Um <clears throat> he'd been out and came back and said, Mum, they've given me something bad. And I didn't know, you know, and I was beginning to sort of, I was babysitting my youngest grandson and he, and I began to question and he said, don't worry, mom, because he never wanted me to worry. And um, he said, you know, his friend was downstairs, we'll deal with it, you know. But we noticed over the weekend, he became quite agitated and um, wouldn't settle. And then sort of in the night, he wanted to go out and and I, you know, I couldn't, you know, I said, no, you can't do that. Anyway, we talked, he calmed down a bit, talked. And then he decided he'd like to go, you know, as a voluntary patient to um, see what was wrong. So his his father and myself and a friend, we went to the hospital um, with him to the A&D, but he wouldn't settle. So they said, you know, they, um, they called, actually the police were called because he walked out of the hospital and anyway they you know they managed to bring him back nothing you know just talk him back um you know um de-escalated the situation and then you know they said that because he was a very bright boy very bright future they didn't want you know staying on his record or anything so you know maybe as a voluntary patient he'd go to the Maudsley and be assessed there so he was taken to the mortuary, and um, there um, we saw some other good police practice because he walked out of the mortuary, and um, police were called, and they de-escalated the situation. Very, very calm, very good. 
and um, escort, es- escorted him back to the Maudsley. So by the time I arrived, I met, you know, the police and they were on the floor. Everybody was laughing and sitting down and joking. And um, yeah, you know, they de-escalated the situation, which was good practice. So um, anyway, after um, that, we saw the, the doctor who suggested that Cheney go as a voluntary patient to Bethlehem because the Maudsley was not taking patients from Croydon. So we took him to the to the Bethlehem Hospital, and um, I, I wasn't happy. I, I didn't like it at all. My spirit just did not, I didn't settle. I couldn't, it was very loud and noisy, and oh, it was horrible. And, um, you know, the staff were shouting, and oh, anyway. Mm. Um, we left about 8.30, and I was very uneasy, but I, you know, the, they taken my number a couple of times, and they said, if anything, you know, he's a voluntary patient, he can leave at any time, which is what the doctor had told him at the Maudsley. A mm. voluntary patient, leave at any time. They, you know, they'll call your mother. So we left with a promise that if anything, they would call me. Well, of course, there was a changeover staff, and... Um, I had, you know, as we walked to the car park, I, I phoned my elder daughter and I said, listen, I think I'm going to stay in the car for a bit, you know, maybe spend a few hours in the car. I wasn't easy about something. And she said, you know, mom, don't because you've not had any sleep for a couple of nights. Come home. They've got your number. They'll call you. Well, about uh, 10, 1030 that night, his best friend called and said, mom, have they called you? I said, who? You know, because I was just waking up, really. And he said, the hospital. I said, no. He said, well, he called them to see how Shenny was settling, only to be told that there'd been an incident and that Shenny was at A&D in um, at Croydon University Hospital, Mayday. So I, he told me to call them. I called them. They told me the same thing. So his father, myself, and, all, and some of his friends went to the hospital. And there we saw Shenny on life support machine. And... Um, it's interesting, you know, um, as we walked into the family room, three policemen sort of stood up a bit awkwardly. I thought it was a bit odd. And they said, oh, you know, there'd been an incident, but um, uh, Shady was on life support. You know, we are so um, lucky that Sergeant so-and-so was there and resuscitated him. You know, well, of course, we didn't know any better, did we? Didn't know any different. Anyway. Um, Shaney was on life support for some days and then they did the brain stem cell uh, test and uh, said his brain was dead and um, could they turn off the machine so the machine was turned off on the Saturday and um, but backtracking actually I must just tell you do you know how we knew something was a bit odd. Well, for the start, the IO, IPCC, the Independent Police Complaints Commission, kept phoning us there, their um, family liaison officer. Can I? Can we come and see you? No, don't come to my house. I don't know you. I don't know what you, this is about. You know, anyway, um, this is before the life support was turned off. I was going towards the... I was in the house, get, went out, stepped outside and saw a young man in a suit with a notebook talking to my neighbours. And so I think when I opened the door, my neighbor said, oh, there she is. And um, they'd been asking the neighbors about Shaney. And Shaney, I didn't know a number of people. Shaney gave a lift to. He helped them shop. He did, I didn't know all of this. 
It's only after he died that we found out all the things that he'd been doing in the area that we had no idea about. There were some kids who lived nearby and they came and cried, cried, um, because, you know, they said he had really um, helped them and told them, you know, that they have to work hard. Shani was really into studying and bettering yourself, you know. And, um, you know, they were so upset, you know, how he used to um, talk to them and, you know, give them sweets and say, look, you've got to, don't play on the road. You know, you've got to do some work and get ahead. And, and um, you know, so it was afterwards we found out all of this. Anyway, um, uh, the, new, the, the, the reporter from the Evening Standard said, Mrs. Lewis, do you know how your son what happened to your son? That he, yes. He said, what happened to your son? I said, no. He said, oh, well, we had a whistleblower. And um, they told us what had happened. And we're going to run a story um, on the front page of the Evening Standard today and tomorrow. Um, because, you know, it was quite disturbing. So, um, and they did. And they ran this story that the whistleblower had um, said you know, um, and this was also said at the um, inquest, you know, how the police had restrained him and basically treated him, you know, so badly, restrained him with two sets of handcuffs, all, you know, all the details. And um, that was how we knew something was not quite as simple as it appeared to be. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I'm also really sorry that you found out about it in that way, because that's well, that it's sounds... better finding out that way than not thinking that, you know, the police were doing, you know, had done a good job and resuscitated him. You know, we didn't know that they restrained him first and he died, basically, and then they resuscitated him, which is what they do, and then send you to the hospital and die there. So can we take talk a bit about um, Shaney's Law now? Um, you've obviously been fighting it a long time since your son died to make things better for people in, in mental health units mm -hmm. and hospitals so Shaney's law was brought in eight years ago sorry eight years after your son died what does it do and do you feel it goes far enough in terms of protecting people in mental health units well it's the start I think it's a beginning you know um it's it's a start it's if can I just say the other thing is the guidance has not come out for Shaney's law we have worked on this we were working on it Brexit we were working on it, elections. We were working on it, Christmas. We were working on it, New Year. We were working on it, COVID. The guidance to Shaney's Law, how it's to be implemented and used and monitored is not out. Mm. The law is there, but there's no guidance. You know, how people are to collect the, you know, information, you know, the, the the sort of the nitty gritty is not it's not there yet. So we're hoping that you know that things are coming back to normal a bit. We'll be able to get the guidance. Um, you know they were consulting the Department of Health. You know were consulting many many organisations um, to get the guidance through. So um, you know as far as um, Cheney's laws concerned, it just affects mental health units you know we're hoping it will be maybe go further but um for instance mental health units if the police are called they have to wear body cameras um there has to be 
a trainer, somebody in the hospital who is responsible for training um, staff, monitoring staff, making sure that all staff, agency, as well as um, contract staff are properly trained, all right, on on the escalation. Because the idea is to get away from restraint as much as possible. Mm. So we have to learn how to de-escalate situations and not call in the police at the slightest instance. The police have no, no right to be in a mental health institution. Mm. And they don't like coming either. They will tell you they don't like it. They don't feel they should be there. So, mm. you know, that is um, what we are we're working for. We're trying to make things safer for mental health, per, um, um, mental health patients. Um, I don't want anybody to go through what we went through. I don't want it. You know, so I, 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 I just want the fact that Shaney died but I don't want it to be in vain he didn't die in vain he died and other people you know were 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 saved that's what I would like you know but anyway um yes so this law is on um you know anytime there's a restraint whatever restraint mechanical um whatever there has to be a report made you know, at, at a given time, you know, there has to be strict monitoring, you know, mm. but there has to be a named person um, who will risk, you know, who is in charge of training and keeping records. And yeah. How much resistance did you face in terms of getting the bill brought in? How long you know, were you working on it? I think it was a miracle, really, um, because it, it, we were told it would might take ages, years. But, um, <laughs> you know, we were able to, well, Steve Reed, who was a brilliant um, negotiator and um, a networker, was able to, to, you know, get it cross-party support. Mm. Everybody, you know, um, wanted it, you know. Mm. And, and I think because most people want greater transparency and accountability, you know, to stop the disproportionate use of force and restraint in mental health. Yeah, so yeah. we we it wasn't that difficult. I remember when it went to the House of Lords, and every time it every stage it went through in Parliament, we were there. We were invited. We were there and acknowledged. And um, you know, everybody called it Shaney's Law, but it's actually not Shaney's Law, is it? You know, we we know that. You know, but um, that that's you know, it was it was um. You know, we were told, oh, it would be in the House of Lords for a long time. It went through, I think, two readings, which is very quick. Then we were told it would have, you know, they would get the Queen's assent, and that might take some months. Then the next, I think a couple of days after, I got a phone call to say it's gone. The Queen's got, you know, it's got the Queen's assent. It was just quite miraculous. We were were quite stunned. We Mm. were quite stunned. Yeah. But I and I must point out that um, it's only the second um, um, Labour MP's um, private uh, parliamentary bill that has become law, you know, in the, in 22 years. So it's real. It's a real achievement. It's a real mm. achievement. There was a lot of canvassing and a lot of cross-party support. Immense amounts of cross-party support. 
in terms of actually what happened um, to Shaney, I mean, we haven't really sort of spelled it out, but so it was 11 policemen yes. were found to, to have held him down. That's right. Have you been able to forgive the people who were identified as being involved in your son's death? Well, can I just say before, you know, what is, you know, what, what really horrified us, you know, the, all this information came off at the inquest, mm. although there had been the whistleblower, was that the police, there was just no need. Yes, 11 police officers in two batches. And mm. even the coroner was, you know, appalled. And she said, you were hot. You said you were calling for water. You took off your jacket. What about the persons you were restraining? You know, mm. they had Shaney in two sets of handcuffs across his um, one one hand under his chin, and then the other hand um, um, handcuffed. Oh, it was just horrendous. Two sets of leg braces, and the hospital staff, including the doctor, were watching. Mm. They felt they couldn't go and intervene because the police were doing the work. You just watch somebody die and you can't do anything. You know, I, I mean, it's appalling, appalling. And then when the police had restrained him for nearly 45 minutes, he went limp. But no, they thought like they do, you know, I don't know what sort of head they work in. Oh, we thought he was faking it. We thought he was pretending. Are you stupid? What sort of rubbish is that? You thought he was Fake. You thought the person was, but this is what they say in the cell. Oh, we thought he was pretending. The body has gone limp. Shake the body. Won't you know if a person is pretending or not? And for this to happen in 2010 um, in a mental health yes. hospital and somewhere that's meant to be helping patients yes, is, a place is absolutely of safety. a place yeah. of safety and a place to get better in. But no, you know, it's it was just appalling appalling but you did ask me you asked, I think you asked me about forgiveness didn't you do you know what we're a Christian family we're a praying family and God helped me God helped me because if it wasn't for him I would not be forgiven forgiving anybody you know mm. I I you know, I, I do quite a lot of speaking and because I, I, you know, I speak to NHS, some, you know, officers are there and, you know, and, mm. and I say that, you know, forgiveness is like, you know, I think it was Nelson Mandela said that um, un unforgiveness is like swallowing a poisoned bullet. It affects you, but it doesn't affect the other person. Mm. They don't care. They don't know. It affects you. And in order for me and my family to heal and to, to, to move forward and to fight for justice, we've had to forgive. You never forget. Never forget. But you just have to ask God's grace and forgive. And that's what we've had to do. We've had to do that. In terms of what's sort of the situation in the UK now, um, do you think that the NHS and the UK police force has a problem with systemic racism? Or do you think it's there's just one-offs where terrible tragedies <laughs> happen? Oh, my. This is a big, big 
can of worms, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? There, of course, there's systemic racism. Of course. It's been there. Do you know, I remember, you know, the Scarman report in 1981. Wasn't that all about racism and community policing? It had broken down. What happened to the recommendations? Not much. I mean, there was a lot of training for young people, but what else happened? Nothing much. That's on the shelf. What about the McPherson report of 1999? 70 recommendations, uh, a re you know, a report, you know, of 70 recommendations after the um, death of Stephen Lawrence. You know, most recommendations have not been implemented. And then, for instance, we had in 2017 the Angelini report, which was about deaths in custody. That's still sitting on the shelf. Nothing's been done there. And the David Lammy report, 2019. Nothing done there. You know, they, they might do a little, but it's not anything significant. Nothing significant has been done. Instead of implementing the report, that have been, um, you know, that have been done, they want to do another one. What is that about? Implement what is there already. Then if they were implemented, we wouldn't have all the problems we're having now. Mm. I, I just feel that, you know, the, the racism is endemic, all right? You know, nothing has changed much. You know, if society is racist, why won't the N NHS, the police, they, they mirror society. They're all racist. It's nothing has changed. You know, we know this because of all the reports that have, have said this. You know, nothing has changed. If, if, for instance, there's no will the people at the top, you know, it works top down. If they don't want to change, you know, it means that nothing is going to happen because the people at the bottom of the of the of the ladder don't have any power. They don't have any any um any um power to implement changes. Things have to change, and that's why Shaney's Law is quite it's um quite a, an achievement. And I understand that there, in the in the in um, in the world, there are no laws like Shaney's law. So I know there are people in England, like for instance, the Crisis um, Prevention Institute. They're taking Shaney's law to Finland, to America, to Australia. I mean, I would like to see Shaney's law implemented in Scotland and Wales, and mm. Ireland, Northern Ireland as well. You know, and and people are saying that it needs to be extended to include children, autistic children, children who are restrained in schools and institutions. You know, absolutely. But, uh, you know, at at the moment, there's no will. I don't think there's very little will to change. You know, I I I feel I feel that um, it's there. It's always been there. Where's the will? Where, there, there doesn't seem to be, doesn't match. Doesn't match. We've got so many families whose loved ones have died in custody. 
mainly black, but they're Asian and there are white families as well. Many. Are you also worried about the effect the pandemic might be having on the mental health of black people at the moment? Uh, um, yes. You know, I, I definitely, definitely. I mean, we've seen it. You know, we're mm-hmm. frontline staff. You know, we're, you know, they're, they're in the NHS, frontline staff of the buses, the train drivers. Yeah, they're, they're frontline staff. Yes, because they're, you know, they're, I, I, I am worried about, you know, the, the sort of COVID and the mental health and the physical health. You know, the mm. pandemic is, you know, impacted the black community because, you know, there are stresses. You know, poor housing, overcrowded housing. You know, it's expensive to live in London. So people tend to maybe um, more people live in a house than they should. You know, I mean, that, that, that's how it is. And you've got the children at home. You know, you've got the frontline workers and they're stressed. And then they have to carry, you know, they have to go home to their families. You don't know about how COVID was, you know, originally we didn't know much about it. It was sort of, we were learning as it was going on. How is it transferred? You know, they're, they're all these things, you know, mm. the frontline workers on the NHS with the least power doing the most shifts, the least PPE protection. You know, they're, they're, they're the least powerful. Most of them are at risk. They've got underlying factors. They're not likely to challenge their working conditions because they need the job. They're afraid to ask, afraid to speak out, and are often bullied. And there's no counselling for for these nurses. There's no counselling, lots of trauma. There's counselling for everybody. But, you know, the the last people that seem to be able to access counselling are black workers. You know, it's... um, it, it's it's just many many layers, many layers. So, what needs to be done to make mental health units fairer and to confront racism in the healthcare and in the police now? Well, I I think that there has to be, has to be a commitment for those at the top um, to want to change, to want to implement change. I mean, mainly you know you see white male you know politics you know. It's not always in their interest or they don't think it's in their interest for change to take place, but they don't realize that history repeats itself. It is in their interest. Otherwise, things get worse. You know, I mean, um, you know, you get these historical tactics, you know, new inquiry, you know. But if they invested money that they're going to spend on the inquiry on the on the communities, then we wouldn't be where we are now. You know, I I always say that um, I like my favorite quote. Mark Twain said, the only person that likes change is a baby in a wet nappy. And it's so true. But, you know, people have to remember that change comes. It might be slow, but it comes inevitably. You know, you can be sure that the only thing that will remain unchanged is the process of change itself. All right. We can choose to ignore it, but it's coming. It will creep up. It will creep up. You know, and I, I, I just feel that, you know, there should be more money put into counselling, into talk therapy, into phototherapy, into, you know, arts therapy in the, in, the, in the sort of in the mental health units. Because mostly black people do not have the access to that. They don't get offered that. They get offered medication and restraint and to be incarcerated and to be locked up in mental health units. 
and the medication is so severe that it, you know, makes people psychotic and it does all sorts of things. You know, you'll find that. Why can't they be offered counseling and talk therapy? But no, you know, oh, they're psychotic or they're schizophrenic. They have had problems. They've had issues, long-stemming issues that you get through racism. Racism. That you might not even, as a white person, realize. But, you know, training and unconscious bias, training and conscious bias, it's all very, it's really relevant. So you realize exactly how and what you're thinking and why. Thank you so much um, for all of that and for, for talking to me. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just, you know, like to say that um, I do what I do, you know, so that nobody else has to go through what my son had to go through. And, um, you know, I, I just, the reports that have gone before to be implemented, the things to, to get better for everybody. And mm-hmm. I want fairness, I want fairness for everybody, equality for, for everybody, including black people, Asians, whoever, green, red, whoever you are, there should be equality and fairness yeah. in, in sort of in the legal system and the mental health system, especially. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 